BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report Magazine. I'm Sasha Coca. Remember live music? Hey, tienen miedo? ¿Qué pedo? Acérquense. Get a little closer, y'all. We're all, we're all here to have a good time. Come and join us over here on the dance floor. We figure we could all use some joy right now. So as we continue our show's 25th birthday celebration, we're digging into our archives to share our favorite music stories, from Zydeco to opera, blues to psychedelic cumbia. But first, a punk classic that's evolved into an anthem skewering California politicians. California, California Uberalis was released in 1979 by the Dead Kennedys. Their frontman, Jello Biafra, says at the time he was bummed out that the revolutionary fervor of the 1960s was being replaced by a kind of new age escapism. Jello came to our studios back in 2006 to talk about what inspired this iconic song. I thought, oh my God, this sort of apathy and putting your brain to sleep and becoming an obedient little poodle is a one-way ticket to fascism. It's how people allow themselves to be taken advantage of by aspiring dictators. You know, I began talking about this and thought, oh my God, there's one American politician on the scene who seems extremely power-hungry and ambitious who would know how to manipulate these things, and that was the high-flying governor of California, Jerry Brown. I am Governor Jerry Brown. My heart smiles and never frowns. Soon I will be president. The very first version of California Uber Alice was performed once to an audience of zero, but then later when I moved to San Francisco, I rewrote the lyrics and came up with a new piece of music, and California Uber Alice was born. California Uber Alice, California Uber Alice, Uber Alice, California Two years after California Uber Alice made it to vinyl and was released as a single in 1979, Ronald McReagan was president. And uh, at that point, I realized, well, the, the, uh, the song about Jerry Brown, it was a great original theory, but it didn't turn out to be right. And so uh, updated the song to We've Got a Bigger Problem Now, where the lyrics were about Reagan and the religious right instead of Jerry Brown. I am Emperor Ronald Reagan, born again with fascist cravings. Still, you make the president. 
And because of that, maybe, and because California Uber Allison kind of has a catchy sing-along chorus, has been sort of uh, functioned as sort of an electric folk song in, in, in American culture, where I would say at least half a dozen times a year, I get lyrics coming in from people who've rewritten the song about some other politician. Michael Franti's old hip-hop group, The Disposable Heroes of Hip-Hopracy, did an amazing version of California Uber Alice about Pete Wilson and his uh, thinly-veiled white supremacist anti-immigration crusade. I'm your governor, Pete Wilson, you know, the baddest governor to ever grab a mic and go boom! Give me a punch and watch me hack it. Give me a beat and I'll show you how to jack it. I give the rich a giant tax loophole. I leave the poor living in a poop hole. Finally, I figured, uh, you know, there's maybe even a bigger problem now and uh, brought the song back with lyrics about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's probably the closest to the original, uh, you know, desire for outright fascism, no matter what he says. And if you like the Bush regime, just wait till you see what's coming next. I mean, the code words he uses on Latinos and... You know, don't vote for that other man for governor. He's fat and bald, and people who don't agree would be a girly man. I mean, that nobody else can get away with that. I am Governor Schwarzenegger. Pretty soon I'll be dictator when they make me president. I'm kind of the same guy I was then in the sense that I'm a fan, and I like to hear new things rather than just listen to old things over and over and over again. When I hear a punk band that's original, that has fire and energy, something new to say, hopefully, and especially if there's an extra added dose of dementia, I'm there. Jello Biafra talking back in 2006 with our senior editor, Victoria Mauleon. By the way, a lot of bands have recorded their take on California Uberellis since then, including this one from the band Audio Rage, called Donald Trump Uberellis. From punk rock to opera, Our next stop on this tour of our favorite musical stories is about a cantata based on the oral history of an indigenous healer from San Juan Bautista on the Central Coast. Ascension Solorzano de Cervantes was born in 1855, and she was known across California and Mexico for her herbal remedies like rattlesnake weed tea. I did this story in 2008 about the premiere of a new production that put Ascension's life to music. Joseph Mondragon was eight years old when a man with an olive green soldier's coat came to live in his family's basement in Monterey. The year was 1929. Grandma told him that she knew he was coming. She felt it. She had a premonition that he was coming to uh, open the gates for our people. Let the Caucasians know they will know the Indian way, the history of our people which uh, nobody knew for a long time. The man was John Peabody Harrington, 
a linguist from the Smithsonian, who spent four decades gathering notes on native languages spoken from Alaska to South America. He'd come to record the oral history of Mondragón's dying grandmother, Ascensión Solórzano de Cervantes. She was the last fluent speaker of Mutsun, the language of the Amamutsun tribe that lived near California's central coast. Now Mondragón's sharing his own memories with a different kind of translator. Show as part of the backdrop for the concert. Oh, I It'll see. They'll start out with her photo, and then these are the baskets. Yeah, I see them, yeah. And then this is hers that's in the Smithsonian. Yeah, this is the one she made. Uh, Helene Joseph in, Weil is a music professor at Fresno State. She's also a classically trained mezzo-soprano and opera director. She first learned about Ascension Solorzano 20 years ago when she saw a picture of her in the San Francisco Chronicle. I was so moved by it, and there was something about her photo that just mesmerized me that I suddenly said, I have to sing her. How can I sing her? Joseph Weil and composer Benjamin Boone have been working to put Ascension Solorzano's oral history into a cantata called Ascension. To capture Ascension's stories about the horror of Native American genocide, composer Benjamin Boone wrote this piece called Lamentation. Wide leaps in the choral parts create dramatic sounds that are almost discordant. The cantata has won the praise of some Native American scholars and historians, including UC Davis professor Martha Macri. She says setting Harrington's oral histories to opera is an innovative idea and one that she thinks Helene Joseph Weil has handled respectfully. It's not someone trying to imitate Native culture and pretend. She has really taken her great respect and regard for Ascension and translated it into an art form that is her art form. Ascension's great-great-grandson, Ed Ketchum, says her oral history is a kind of medicine to the some 600 people who are part of the Mutsun tribe today and who are struggling for federal recognition. I believe it has the ability to serve as a healing process for our people and for them to have a better understanding of what took place in the past and the fact that they have a heritage they should be proud of and that they should honor those who passed. For the song of Ascension's death, Joseph Weil and Boone made the first recording of the bells of Mission San Juan Bautista and arranged them for a chorus. That's fitting since Ascension was buried in the Mission Cemetery, home to some 4,000 Native American graves. Mardi Gras is coming up, but just like so many celebrations these days, it's going to be scaled down and virtual in most places. 
People will still find a way to dance to Zydeco music, though. We thought we'd dig into our archives to bring you a story about the Bay Area Zydeco scene, which dates back to World War II and the Creole migrants who came to work in the shipyards. In this story from 2014, reporter Rachel Dornhelm introduced us to a California man who's one of the few Zydeco ambassadors outside Louisiana at the top of his art form. My name is Andre Theory. I've been playing uh, accordion since I was like 9, 10 years old. So that's what, 23 years? Andre Theory grew up in Richmond's vibrant Creole community. The self-taught musician had front row seats to Zydeco greats like Clifton Chenier and Buzu Chavis. My grandparents, they uh, booked bands from Louisiana, brought them out, and they played at the local church in Richmond, St. Mark's, and that's how I got into it. Theory's grandparents didn't just book the bands, they hosted the musicians at their home. Theory grew up literally sitting on the laps of giants in the scene. One of them took a look at the boy's long arms and predicted Theory would be a great accordion player. Still, it didn't always seem fated to be. First part of my life, I I didn't like the music. I went to sleep. And then one night I just uh, went up front of the stage and started watching the accordion player, and uh, I fell in love with the accordion. Now, Theory is the Grammy-nominated accordionist who's recorded seven albums up on the stage at church dances. Like at this recent Mardi Gras celebration at St. Finbar Church in San Francisco. People are on their feet, out on the floor, almost from the first note. Sometimes it's a line dance, 20 rows deep. Other times, people rotate through partners. Organizer Alice Guidry says the tradition has roots in big weekend parties people hold at their homes in New Orleans, where she grew up. And they used to have what they call yard dances. So every Saturday, they would rotate having Zotico dance at different people's yard. And we'd, uh, when it was our turn, we'd all be out there dancing, just having fun. Gidry says St. Finbar is home to a lively Creole community. Born and raised in San Francisco, my name is Ty Coleman. Um, my grandparents were from New Orleans. Coleman points to the diversity on the dance floor. He says it reflects how open the community is, and also its rich history. People who identify as Creole trace their roots to African, French, Spanish, and Native American ancestors. Coleman says the community's connection to their elders, though, is fading. A lot of those folks have died off, they've moved on. They didn't really pass it on to the kids like me as much as they probably should have. Andre Theory agrees this scene is in transition. Northern California's largely white folk music scene helped boost Zydeco through the 80s and 90s. But now the hippies, as his grandmother called them, are also aging. So he's pushing to get younger people involved. I'm going to show you the walls and the two-step on here, okay? For the past two years, Theory has been working with a group of five boys, ages 7 to 9, in Marin City. One recent day, he shows up with new miniature-sized accordions and starts by drilling a few of the kids on the dance rhythms. What's that? What's this? What's this? The, the buttons don't change. It's just how you play them. One, two, one, two, or one, two, three. 
At the end of class, Theory plays accordion while the boys accompany him on the drums and the rub board or washboard. None of the boys come from Creole backgrounds, and when asked what kind of music they listen to at home, the answer is hip-hop and R&B. Still, they name themselves the Zydeco Boys and are full of enthusiasm. The places they've performed include a music producer's holiday party, a community blues festival, and the St. Finbar's dance. Andre has four of his students here tonight. The boys bound on stage, clutching snare drums and rub boards. All right, we're about to play two-step or something like this. Theory says despite the area's relatively strong Zydeco scene, it can't touch Louisiana, where top Zydeco performers are superstars. When he plays at venues that aren't exclusively Zydeco here, he feels some people's skepticism at first. When they see an accordion and a washboard walk in the building, some people are like smirking and rolling their eyes. Then once the music starts, then they, you get their attention. That story from 2014 came to us from reporter Rachel Dornhelm. You're listening to an anniversary edition of the California Report magazine. We're sharing some of our favorite music stories from the last 25 years. Back in 2016, reporter Peter Gilstrap brought us this next story, about a thriving blues scene in South Central LA in the garage of a man named Franklin Bell. For the last decade, 81-year-old Bell has hosted the Blues Workshop every Sunday, regular as church, in a one-car garage rebuilt to hold about 50 people. The place gets crowded with folks dressed to the nines. For a small voluntary donation, they eat, dance, and drink to music that ranges from raw to graceful. There's a stage in the back, and anyone's welcome to sit in. Basically, we go with the blues, and that's what people look for when they come to the workshop. They look to come to try to participate, play the blues, and listen to it. And I just love that. Tuscaloosa, Alabama native Bell works the crowd. He's dapper, sporting a crisp dark suit and tie despite the heat. He wears a dark cap tilted back on his head. He carries a plastic cup in his hand, sipping from it now and again. He looks you in the eye when he speaks, despite being legally blind. It's just part of getting older, and there's a lot of that going on in the garage. Average age, you're talking about 65. Average. If you stop and think about it, the blues, man, is for people that age. 60 and over. So says Lester Lands, a guitarist and vocalist who cut his teeth on the southern gospel circuit. Lands looks about half of his 62 years. A lot of them live the blues coming out of the south and stuff, man, you know, and still today, you know, so they already fixed, that's their soundtrack, the blues. Most of the folks here fall into what's known as the second great migration of African Americans, people who moved from southern states to cities in the north and west, a period that lasted from the early 1940s until about 1970. They came searching for jobs in California, and many found them in the burgeoning defense industry, as did harp player and singer Sammy Lee. Graduated from high school, started working at a car wash. A few years later, I got drafted, went in the Army. Came out to Army and went to work for Northrop Aircraft. 
Lee made L.A. his home in 1965, and he still plays in clubs around town in addition to his workshop Sundays, which sound like this. The Southerners brought more than just regional music. Blues and food, we got something to eat. <laughs> got to have some food to go along with the blues. The buffet table is a mighty ritual at the workshop. Right now, uh, they're telling me that some food is about ready to be served. Lester Land and says everyone is welcome. Like Here, there's not no mess, no racial barriers, none of that. It's just good, clean fun, man. Bell's workshop attracts players with all kinds of roots. Guitarist and singer Tony Ibarra came to Southern California from Guadalajara in 1963. He's been slinging everything from garage rock to the blues for decades and has seen his share of rough joints. In fact, he spent his entire summer of love on stage in Tijuana. But this scene is far from that. Everybody's friendly, no fights. We eat, had a few beers, listen to good players, listen to good music, talk to the people. I mean, to me, it's great. That's exactly what Franklin Bell wanted all along. It don't take a big crowd, it take a few people so that you can get together and uh, if they can get some joy and they can spread that as they go through life, it's, it makes a difference, that's what my, my thing is about. For the California Report, I'm Peter Gilstrap in Los Angeles. So what do plastic surgeons and crayfish have in common? Well, they both make sounds that have been turned into music. This next story is about an experimental band called Matmos that got its start in San Francisco, sampling and remixing sounds. Here's a 2016 story from Sam Harnett. This is a washing machine, and it's been turned into music. The band of Matmos made an album entirely with sounds from a household washing machine, along with some electronic effects. To show us how they made the music, Matmos gave us their raw recordings. This is the washing machine's settings knob. The on-off switch. The wash cycle. Here they're rubbing their fingers on the machine. And drumming all over it. The whole album is the length of a wash cycle. Makes me think of my laundry in a whole new way. That story was produced by Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff with the podcast, The World According to Sound. The last stop on our archival musical tour takes us to the Eastern Coachella Valley. Most folks know Coachella for its music festival with big headliners. Well, back in 2019, Marisol Medina Cadena told us about a beloved hometown band called Ocho Ojos. I'm 15 minutes from the resorts and hotels of Palm Springs. 
but this bar I'm in, next to a nail salon and an electronics repair shop, feels like a world away. Through a thick cloud of machine-made smoke, I see four dudes on stage. They're all dressed in matching white button-down shirts, black jeans, and white patent leather shoes, like the kind chambelanas wear for a quinceanera. If you look good, you feel good, and if you feel good, you play good. That's Danny Torres, the synth player. He and the band's co-founder wear thick black glasses, so their name, Ocho Ojos, meaning eight eyes, came naturally. We are Ocho Ojos. Tonight, it's called El Baile Tranquis. Are y'all feeling tranquis? A huevo! This monthly party that Ocho Ojos puts on is called Baile Tranquis, a night of chilling and dancing. It's like a Latin night, but we don't call it that because, I mean, that's who we are. Even if it wasn't a Latin night, I just puros Latinos, you know, pura raza, so it's a Latin night every night. <laughs> that's James Gustelum, the bass player. He tells me that out here in Coachella Valley's underground music scene, where punk, metal, and surf rock thrive, it's pretty rare to hear Latin music like this. And it's different than the cumbia you might hear at a family party. These guys have ditched the acoustic guitar and accordion for a synthesizer and a wah pedal to create a trippy electronic sound. Ocho Ojos takes their gritty sound from chicha, a style of cumbia that originated in the Peruvian Amazon in the late 60s and 70s, a kind of soundtrack of empowerment for indigenous migrants who moved to Peru's urban cities at the time. While many Peruvians look down on the working class chicha scene, today, this music is inspiring a new wave of young Latinx bands across California. And like Peru's chicha musicians who sing about daily struggle and hometown pride, so do the members of Coachella's Ocho Ojos. And fans like Antonio Duran say they hear their own family's migration story in the music. Our parents have worked hard for us to be where we are, to be musicians, to be artists, to be whatever the heck we want to be. And that is the most important part of being from Coachella, is that your parents paved the way to make something out of nothing. A lesson the band and their fans didn't just learn from the East Valley's backyard rock and punk scene, but from their parents' hustle, born out of necessity. Well, like they would say in Spanish, no hay de otra, there's no other way. We just have to keep on going. That's Ocho Ojos drummer Rafael Rodriguez. He says the group speaks to U.S.-born Latinx, oscillating between two cultures and languages. Hey, tienen miedo? ¿Qué pedo? Acérquense, get a little closer, y'all. We're all, we're all here to have a good time. Come and join us over here on the dance floor. No one in this 20 and 30-something crowd is Instagramming the moment. Actually, nobody has their phones out. All attention is to the stage. It's like we're all under this cumbia spell, just taking in these hypnotic twangy riffs that kind of sound like a thunderstorm happening in outer space. We got one more. This one's called Cumbia de Este Valle. Ocho Ojos closes their set with a crowd favorite. It's an ode to the desert back roads, agricultural fields, and the Salton Sea, 
the fertile grounds that have shaped this psychedelic cumbia band into who they are today. For the California Report, I'm Marisol Medina Cadena in the Eastern Coachella Valley. Hometown band Ocho Ojos finally did get to play at the Big Coachella Festival soon after this story aired in 2019. Musical stories from our archive as we celebrate 25 years of the California Report. Here's hoping we can all hear some live music again in person very soon. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor, Amanda Font is our director, and Brendan Willard is our engineer. Our intern is Hector Arzate. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.